official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at wellchurchvt.com. Amen. Well, my experience in my marriage is a little bit different than Matt and Tasha's. They said that marriage is not like a Disney movie, but I wake up every morning singing a Disney song to my wife. This morning was A Whole New World by Aladdin. Um, So um, maybe I'll teach a a class. (laughs) Hey, how many of you folks have ever been camping before? Wow, almost all of you. We live in Vermont. How many of you love camping? About, almost about half of who raised their hands who, who's been camping. When I was a kid, I used to camp a lot. My parents didn't make a lot of money, and so on vacations, we would go camping. And when I was a kid, I loved to go camping. I have, a, uh, I have four siblings, and my younger brother, Aaron, he's just 10 months younger than me. And so when we went camping, we brought our fishing poles, we brought our bikes, we did all kinds of excursions in the woods. My favorite place to camp was Lake Meacham. And um, I remember one time we went camping, we forgot our fishing poles. We were really bummed. But we, we got on our campsite and we were getting set up, and we saw a tree on our campsite with some, some people had left behind like fishing hooks with a little string of fishing line on them attached to the tree. And so we thought, whoa, maybe we can go fishing after all. We were 10, 11 maybe. So we took those fish hooks and we said, but we didn't bring our tackle box or bait, but we have these hot dogs. And so we put little hot dog pieces on. We went and just stood in the river, like up to here. And, and we caught about five or six perch, right? And we cut them up and we cleaned them and we cooked them. And it was the best. We smelled like fish for, you know, two days and we're dirty. And, and when I was a kid, I didn't miss the comforts of home. I didn't mind that we didn't have a bed that you woke up damp and wet every morning, that you didn't have air conditioning, that there were lots of bugs, that there was no running water. That's what didn't bother me when I was a kid. When I became an adult, I, I have an, an affection for the comforts of my home. And so I camp less. But there's, there's a lot of reasons people go camping, right? Because it's beautiful. You immerse yourself in God's creation and beauty. I know that a lot of folks enjoy camping just to unwind and unplug from their everyday life, right? Just to get away where nobody can, can find you, <laughs> where you can turn off your devices and just kind of soak in and appreciate God's creation and breathe it in. It can be really, really peaceful and centering. Um, well, I've discovered this with Scripture, that camping out in a passage of Scripture can sometimes feel like camping out in nature. That when you camp out in nature, you're kind of, you're, you're, you're intentionally slowing down to unplug and just soak everything in, right? To appreciate and to just slow down. And oftentimes when we read scripture, we're just kind of racing through it, right? But when you camp out in a passage of scripture, there's this intentional slowing down where you breathe in the words, you sit with them, you appreciate them. Um, but also, it can, it can be a little uncomfortable to camp out in a passage of Scripture because you're more exposed to the elements. The words hit you differently when you take time with them, right, and don't rush past them. And so we've decided to take 14 weeks to camp out in a passage of Scripture called 
the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' most famous sermon. It's his longest, like, grouped collection of teachings. And he teaches from a mountainside. And so we're going to camp out on the mountainside of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We're going to spend 14 weeks just looking at his sermon. And let me tell you what, that guy can preach. <laughs> and, and one of the, the overwhelming things for me as a preacher is to like not get in the way of Jesus preaching. Because his sermons like are so much better than, than mine are, could ever be. Right? And so as I'm reading through his Sermon on the Mountain, I'm like, man, I, maybe do I just read this out loud? And just step away. And so this morning, it's my job to kind of go through his intro to his sermon. That's, they're called the Beatitudes. Everybody ever heard of the Beatitudes before? That's the, the sermon intro to this great sermon. Last week, Ian um, kind of set up our campground. He took out the tent and you know, got the fire pit ready and uh, got our su- supplies and food sorted because that's what you do when you go camping. You got to get to the stuff first to set up camp in order to get to the camping. And so he kind of introduced the series and who was Jesus' audience? What was he trying to communicate through this sermon? But today what we're going to do is we're going to jump right in and read these Beatitudes and just let them kind of saturate us. We're just going to camp out around them. And I'm just going to share a few thoughts around each one. Is that okay? You guys ready to do that? Let's, let's go to Matthew chapter 5 then. And I apologize for not having scripture on our screen this morning. The software program that runs all of our slides, because I I have an ancient computer, just decided to not work today. And so we're depending on God's word, not even tech. We're just going to have to kind of open our ears to listen to to what Jesus is saying here. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Jesus starts this way. This is the first line of his sermon, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So who are the poor in spirit? What does it mean to be poor in spirit? Well, the people who are poor in spirit are people who are aware of their own need. They're, in need of, they're aware of their own dependency on God. So Jesus essentially starts his sermon with this statement. If you're poor in spirit, you're blessed. Because the kingdom of God belongs to you. He's essentially saying, right from the get-go of his sermon, can you admit your own spiritual poverty? First line of the sermon. Now, Jesus is smart, so he knows this, that admitting our impoverishment is not an easy thing for us. Right? We don't make many Facebook posts of our inadequacy. We, we, we like to be impressive. We do not like to admit our brokenness and our bankruptcy, right? We don't, we don't post when we're depressed and we're eating two pints of Ben and Jerry's and take a picture of it and post it on Facebook. We, we post good meals that nobody else can have. We post fun parties and fun events. We don't post the unimpressive things. But Jesus starts his sermon and says, guess what? You're blessed if you're aware of your impoverishment. If you're aware of your need, and that's how he starts his sermon. So you know it's going to be a doozy, right? He starts his sermon by saying, the kingdom belongs to those who are aware of their own inadequacy. He's essentially starting out by saying, if you know all the ways in your life where you don't measure up, you're blessed. That's who the kingdom 
belongs to. I, I had a friend when I was in college, and we hung out together all the time. We had a lot of common interests, um, but one thing we didn't have in common is I was a follower of Jesus, and he um, identified as an atheist. And so once in a while, that conversation would come up. And I remember him saying to me one day, Adam, Christianity is a crop. And, and I, I paused for a second and thought to myself, yeah, it is a crutch. <laughs> and I said, you know, John, because that was my friend's, my, my friend's name was John. I said, John, Jesus said this. He didn't come for the healthy. He came for the sick. And I'm sick. And I told him, you're sick too, even though you don't want to admit it. <laughs> and all of humanity, all of humanity has an illness. The problem is we don't like to admit our illness, our inadequacy, our sickness, right? And so Jesus starts his sermon. He says, you're blessed if you get that. If you recognize that you, that you are fully dependent on God. Jesus also said this in Matthew chapter 19, verse 24. He said, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Well, what did he mean there? Why is he saying that? That's a... Uh, kind of a, a strange illustration of a camel going through the eye of a needle and a rich person entering the kingdom of God. It, it, are we disqualified if we have wealth? That's, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying the more we have, the harder it is to understand our need. See, it, it's difficult to recognize you need a savior if you don't think you need saving. And so right from the get-go, Jesus' first statement, you want to know what it's like, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. He says, here's what it is. Here's what the kingdom of God is like. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven belongs to those who realize their own spiritual poverty. That is extremely difficult to do in a social media age. It's it's much harder today than it was when I was a kid because we didn't have social media. All we had was Atari. But it's difficult to do because we, we live in a world where we're always trying to project what's the best of us. And Jesus says, no, the kingdom of God belongs to those who recognize their bankruptcy and their brokenness. Right? It's, there's something more real and authentic to what Jesus is inviting us into. The kingdom is different. See, these, these beatitudes are really... Um, it's a radical kingdom manifesto of this gospel announcement that Jesus is making. Well, let's look at the second one. Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. How are those who mourn blessed? Well, Jesus is really unpacking this idea that the kingdom is for those who who are familiar with grief and suffering, who refuse to ignore it. C.S. Lewis says this, that, that pain and suffering is God's megaphone to the world where he announces that the world is not as it should be. That when you and I suffer, when we see the sting of sin and the, and the pain and the sorrow that comes with sin and, and death and loss and tragedy and suffering, that that's, that's God's megaphone to, to announce to the world that things are not the way they should be. Have you guys ever felt that before? You live, you live any length of time in this earth, you feel that. You've, you, you experience suffering, you, you see all, all the broken things in the world and in your own life, and you realize this, doesn't, this isn't the right way. 
And so Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. See, if, if you've suffered tragedy, if you've suffered loss, if you've suffered injustice, if you've felt the sorrow of sin, you're blessed. If you can empathize and show compassion towards others who suffer, you're blessed. See, one of the, the names that Jesus gives the Holy Spirit is the comforter. And he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The Holy Spirit ministers to those who mourn. Revelation chapter 21, verse 4 says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. The kingdom is for those who mourn, right? They, they're not afraid of, of, of sorrow and grief. You know, a few weeks ago, I think it was December 30th, our, yeah, it was our last Sunday together before the new year, we opened up the microphone up here and just had, I don't know, maybe 10 to a dozen people come up and share testimonies. And what I noticed during that testimony time is that a lot of folks this, this year in our congregation who came up to share, they experienced sorrow, a grief that God carried them through, and they were testifying about it. And one thing I saw and I noticed is like, wow, we really don't know. See, sometimes we come to church and we, we look the part, everything looks good, but you really don't know what's going on in someone's life, right? Well, how's that saying go that, that be gracious because everyone you meet is, is fighting a hard battle or something like that, right? Which is so true. And what Jesus is saying here when he says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted, is that we have to be okay. We have to be authentic and okay to be, yeah, I'm pained by the brokenness in my life, by the brokenness around me, and I'm longing for God to repair and finish what he started, right? His redemptive plan. Let's, let's read on. Matthew 5, here's another one. Blessed are the meek. For they will inherit the earth. In Mark chapter 9, there's a funny story. Jesus' disciples are having this secret argument. And they're arguing about which one of them is the greatest. And Jesus is smart, right? He knows what's going on. And so he pulls them aside after their little secret kind of bickering and arguing. He says, you know who the greatest one is? The one who's the servant of all the one who humbles himself, the least of all, that's the greatest in the kingdom. And the earthly kingdoms look very different from the kingdom of God. As Jesus tells them that authority in the kingdom belongs to the meek. And notice the promise Jesus makes to the meek. It's really surprising. He said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. What? Meekness doesn't inherit the earth meekness doesn't lead to authority. If you guys have ever recognized, it, maybe it's in your workplace, maybe it's in your neighborhood, maybe it's in, even in your own home, wherever it is, that meekness isn't really something that we all aspire to. <laughs> because it's humility, gentleness, it's meek. Right? Meek people usually get walked on. If you're meek at work, you're going to get trampled on. You're going to get stepped over because there are other people who are trying to get to the front. They're trying to get to the promotion. The meek don't inherit anything. But Jesus said, that's not how the kingdom works. The kingdom of God, it, it, it's different than, than earthly kingdoms. The meek, those are the ones who have authority and those are the ones who rule and inherit. 
Isn't that mind-blowing? This is Jesus' start to his sermon. He said, hey, blessed are you if you're poor in spirit. If you mourn, you're blessed. Oh, by the way, the meek, they inherit the earth. They get everything. His listeners must have just been like, what? This is all seems backwards. N.T. Wright says this about the Beatitudes, that, that when Jesus taught them, he, it was like he took people through the sound barrier and everything started coming together backwards because it was so different. Let's read on. The next one, Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who long for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven, right? Why did Jesus teach us to pray that in the Lord's prayer? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? That just, that's a longing for, for, and a hunger and a thirst for righteousness because we recognize that, that God's shalom has, has been broken, right? We've been in the sin-torn world and there's this longing, there's this hunger and thirst for repair, for things to be set to right again. And, and look at the promise. For those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled. They will not be let down. Man, that's good news. You guys notice that like life has a lot of letdowns. <laughs> you hope for something and it just doesn't work out. And you know, Jesus is saying, these folks, they won't be let down because God's going to finish what he started. <laughs> Man, such good news. Verse 7, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. In Matthew chapter 18, a little later in Matthew's gospel, Jesus tells a parable called the unmerciful servant. Have you guys ever heard that parable before? Essentially what happens is Jesus tells this story about a king, and he has a servant in his kingdom who owes him an insurmountable debt. The debt's enormous. He can never pay it off. And so that servant comes squabbling in, 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 on his hands and knees, begging the king to, to show mercy. And the king shows him mercy and forgives him. So that servant who's been forgiven this enormous debt, he goes out and he finds someone who owes him just a little bit. And he grabs him and he chokes him and he's violent with him and he says, give me what you owe me. And if you can't, you're going to be locked up. Well, the king finds out about that. And he calls the servant back and he said, shouldn't you have shown mercy to the person who owed you little when I forgave you of much? And what Jesus is doing in this parable is he's teaching about the kingdom that God, that when we ask God for forgiveness and he forgives us our, this insurmountable debt because we can't repair it on our own. We've ruptured and fractured our relationship with God and we, and we chose our own way and we rejected him and his shalom and, 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 and he says, no, I forgive you, right? Through Jesus and the cross, we're forgiven. But then there's an expectation that we in turn need to extend that forgiveness, and so Jesus says in the statement, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. See, mercy and, and forgiveness are, are kingdom attributes. And, and one of the markers of being a follower of Jesus is we have to receive God's forgiveness, but we also have to extend it to others, right? And so Jesus is saying, if you've been forgiven by God, if you've experienced God's mercy, you're blessed. If you've extended mercy and forgiveness to others, and you've had opportunities to do that, you're blessed. Verse eight, 
Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. When I was a teenager, we used to sing this worship song at church. Um, it was called Refiner's Fire, and, and the lyrics went, Purify my heart. Let me be as gold and precious silver. And then the chorus was, Refiner's Fire, my heart's one desire is to be holy, set apart for you. Does anybody remember that song? A few, a few of the older saints. Just so you know, I'm not an older saint. I just look for opportunities to relate to our older saints. <laughs> so quite a few of you remember that song. I remember when I sang that as a teenager, I was really conflicted because it felt dishonest on some level. God, purify my heart. Make me holy. My, own, my, my one heart's desire is to be set apart for you, Lord. Now, I wanted to want that at times, but there, sometimes I sing that, but I was kind of like, I don't know if I really want to be like fully set apart. And that's when I realized that Christians don't tell lies. We just sing them in church on Sunday. <laughs> but, but I was conflicted because I realized that, yeah, there's a part of me that really wants God to purify my heart because I really do want to see God. I want to see God. Do you guys want to see God? How often do you make this your prayer? God, purify my heart. Cleanse it. Make it pure. Make it true. I want, I want to be single-minded in my pursuit of you. Or I want to want single-mindedness in my pursuit of you. Jesus says, you're blessed. The pure in heart are blessed, for they will see God. Verse 9, we're almost done here. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. How many of you guys know the world could use a few more peacemakers? Right? Peacemaking is a kingdom activity. God himself is a peacemaker. Did you know that? Romans 5 says that we were once enemies with God, and he made peace with us. Romans 5 says, we didn't make peace with him. He made peace with us. After humanity rejected him and his shalom, we became, Romans tells us that we became hostile towards him. And he could have walked away from us. That's what I do when people are hostile towards me. Right? People are hostile towards me. I'm like, well, forget you. I don't have time for you. Whatever. God, God could have done that to, to us. He could have had his beautiful creation and, and mankind should have said, yeah, we don't really like your thing here. He could have just said, okay, fine. There you go. Take, it's yours. But he didn't. We were hostile towards him, and Romans tells us he made peace with us. He's a peacemaker. And it cost him dearly to make peace with us. Right? His own son. And now he's called us to be peacemakers. So Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Those who actively enter into the middle of hostility, into the middle of the scrum, for the purpose of reconciliation. That's what we're called to. An opportunity to demonstrate God's patience and love. And, and strangely enough, it transcends hostility. And so Jesus says this, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. Peacemakers are children of God. Why? Because they have God's DNA. They reflect who he is. He's a peacemaker. Verse 10, last one. 
And these two are grouped together, so we'll read them both together. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Jesus ends these Beatitudes by saying this, you're blessed when you're persecuted because of your association with me. Now, let me qualify this. This is not Jesus giving his followers license to be jerks for Jesus. <laughs> right? You know what I mean by that. Right? Uh, I've met Christians before say, hey, look, Jesus said that the, that the, the world's going to persecute us and not like us and... and, and That's just what Jesus told us. Well, yes, but he didn't give you a license to be a jerk for him. What what he's really saying here is saying, hey, the kingdom of God, to live in the kingdom of God, it looks a certain way, and it's very different than how everyone else outside of the kingdom of God lives. And they're going to notice that. You're going to stand out, and they're going to revile you, and they're going to persecute you and insult you. But when that happens, smile and shake it off. You're blessed. He's not, telling, he's not telling his followers, hey, be real jerks for me, okay? Go out and just tell, tell everybody you know, what they don't want to hear and just be, say it really terribly and say it really rudely and, and be, throw a little condescension in there when you say it. That'll get their attention. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying when you live in the kingdom, everything about you is going to be different. It's going to be foreign. It's not going to make sense. And people are going to notice that. You're going to stand out. When they do, you're blessed. That's what he says. Have you guys ever seen the, the Keep Vermont Weird bumper sticker? Yeah. I kind of chuckle when I see that. Um, the Beatitudes are kind of like the Keep Christianity Weird bumper sticker. <laughs> They're like, you're blessed if you mourn, huh? You're blessed if, if, if you're a peacemaker. You're, you're blessed when you hunger and thirst for righteousness and long for God's kingdom. You're blessed when you're poor in spirit. Um, one thing you'll notice if you come to church at the well is we're not, we're not a super cool church. You know, like even when we're showing our projections today, like we have the chord sheets that our musicians look at. Like, come on, Adam, get it together. We should have fog machines and late lights and the projection should look cool. It should have a cool background. No, we're just going to, like, we use cord sheets today. (laughs) I don't dress cool. Like, we don't have cool stuff. We use a a music stand instead of a podium. We meet in, like, this film house. And here's here's the thing that I'm learning (laughs) uh, about about what I'm aspiring to, to do as a leader of our church is that I think the moment that we try to make Christianity and church cool, we've lost Jesus' way. Because Jesus says, no, the kingdom, it, it doesn't even make sense to the world. Like the kingdoms of the earth, they're going to look at it and be like, that's backwards, it's complete backwards. Poor in spirit, mourning, grief and suffering, making peace, hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Like those are all things that just aren't super cool, (laughs) right? Showing mercy, being meek. See, Jesus states right from the start of the sermon. By the way, 
The Sermon on the Mount is the best campsite you could camp at if you're curious about following Jesus. If you're here this morning, you say, man, I'm kind of what it means to follow Jesus. Or you're, the Sermon on the Mount is a great campsite. The views are incredible. But I'll tell you this, there will be some words you'll read from Jesus and you'll be like, those are so beautiful. Look at, that's inspiring. And then you're going to read the words of Jesus in the sermon and they're going to make you uncomfortable. You're going to feel like, And, right? But, but that's, it's worth the journey because if we're serious about like, what does it look like to follow Jesus? The Sermon on the Mount is a great place to start. And the Beatitudes is a great intro to who Jesus is. What did he do? What did he say? What did he ask his followers to do? And so I know it's, it's a little weird, but we're invited into it. And so I'm going to close by just referencing one more camping experience. Um, one of the, my favorite parts of camping when I was a kid, I haven't camped in years. I would need like a couch, air conditioner. That's what I would need to camp now. But when I, when I, one of the things that I loved when I was a kid is fireside chats at night. Because my family, we had, you know, there were five kids and my, and my parents, and we always had something going, TV's on, or you're running around, you're doing household stuff. But when you're at the campsite, there's nothing else to do. It's dark. And so you just have a campfire, you eat something good, and you just sit around and talk. And it was really like, it didn't happen anywhere else. And one thing I want to challenge our church to do over this 14-week sermon series where we're going to do some mountainside camping in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, is I want to encourage you all to have some fireside chats with someone. So one thing that Abby does, I don't know if you've noticed this, but every week when um, we meet at church, Abby prints off, she writes these up and prints off a list of sermon questions based on the sermon. There's questions for you to, d- to dig deeper and ask yourself and to pray about. Um, and they're usually even quite better than the sermon. A lot of times I'll have to rewrite my sermon after I get Abby's questions. <laughs> I send her my first draft, the second draft, and then she writes her questions like, oh, I'll do my third draft this morning. Uh, but these are great ways where you can just get together with a spouse, with a friend, and you can ask, ask questions about what we're talking about from Scripture and church. So I, I want to illustrate for you a little bit of what that could look like. So Jesus talked about blessed are those who mourn, right? So here's a question you could ask somebody. What have you seen recently that's caused you to mourn and to long for God's kingdom? Wouldn't it be great just to hear somebody say, here's what I've seen that's caused me to mourn. Here's why I'm longing for God's kingdom to come to earth as it is in heaven. What a great conversation that would be. See, we don't have deep conversations in our society. (laughs) They're always shallow. How you doing? Good. Boy, the weather, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Whew. Well, take care. But, but this, this, this is a campside fireplace conversation starter, right? It's unique. It's special. You can sit down. Here, here's another question. Um, Jesus talked about those who, who are blessed for those who thirst and hunger for, for righteousness. What can you do this week to cultivate a healthy a healthy longing and appetite for righteousness. What could you do this week? See, what these kinds of conversations do is they force you to take Jesus' teachings and actually do something with them. Do you know how Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount? He, he, says, he says this, you're blessed if you hear these words of mine 
and you do them. And he says this, a man who hears these words, this is his closing of his sermon, which we'll get to week 14. Someone who hears these words and does them is like someone who builds their house on a rock. And when the storms of life come, they beat on the house, but it stands firm. But if you hear these words and don't put them into practice, you're like a person who builds his house on sand, and when the storms come, great is its fall. Right? So here's, the, here's what Jesus is telling us. Because we can come to church and we can read this sermon, and we can say, wow, the teachings of Jesus are really amazing. But at the end, Jesus says, yeah, but you, you need to practice them. And so sometimes just meeting with someone and asking these questions is a way to like dig in deeper and say, oh yeah, how am I going to live this out? Blessed are the peacemakers. How can you be a peacemaker at home and at school and at work and in your neighborhood? See, that's where the rubber hits the road and you're kind of like, oh, I really liked when Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. We need more peacemakers. But then how are you going to be a peacemaker? Right? So why don't we do this? We... we why don't we pray together and really ask uh, the Holy Spirit to kind of these, these next 12 weeks that we have left in this series, that the Holy Spirit would, would just kind of uh, make this sermon um, come to life in our hearts and that we would, we would commit ourselves to engaging it. Can we do that? And then we'll close. All right, let's pray. God, thank you for the opportunity to come together each week to worship you, to be with our friends and receive encouragement. Lord, we really thank you that we have the opportunity to come to your scripture, to read the words of Jesus, to look at this amazing sermon he preached, this this radical kingdom manifesto that talks about who he is and what he said and what he did and what he, he tells us to do as his followers. God, we pray as we engage it that we would slow down, that we would intentionally breathe in the words that we're reading, that we would allow them to soak in, that we would appreciate them, and it would be a different pace than what we're accustomed to. The Lord, we ultimately ask that your word would do what it does best, and that's transform us and change us. So Lord, um, we'll start just by admitting our own impoverishment, that we uh, are unable to follow you uh, well. <laughs> And that's why we need your righteousness, which we sang about, and your faithfulness, because we lack in all those things. And so, Lord, we recognize our own poverty in spirit. We pray that you would um, make up the difference, because that's what you do. And lead us through uh, these next 12 weeks as we unpack this, this powerful sermon that Jesus gave. Let it be transformative in our lives. And we'll recognize your goodness and your glory and your power. Amen. Amen. Why don't we stand together and we'll sing one last song. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community reintroducing Jesus in Vermont through worship, service, creativity, and community.